the education and the pedagogy around critical lateral thinking so you can come up with some common sense responses and no one's playing in the gray area these days it's black or white us or them you're either with me or against me and we can't live in the polarity of that and i think whenever you start to deal with absolutes and rigidity you're getting into some dangerous territory because you only need one case to prove you wrong to you know have your whole equation fall apart and therefore sort of flexibility and cooperation and collaboration and understanding and a little bit of grace goes a long way into sort of gently navigating through some pretty confusing and convoluted you know experiences out there life is going to give you challenges struggles it's going to force you to face your fears even though these may feel like your worst enemy in truth these are actually your greatest allies my name is lance isios welcome to the university of adversity Boom, and we're back. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you guys are doing well, happy, safe, all that good stuff. If this is your first time here, welcome to the family. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. I love you guys. But if you are new and you haven't subscribed, make sure you smash that subscribe button on Apple. It's all free, You get, and then you just stay on top of the episodes. And if you get value from this, leave us a review on Apple. It's greatly appreciated. The more we get the more valuable the show becomes. So I really, really appreciate it. Today's guest is Stephen Fielding. He's one of my fellow brothers from the Aubrey Marcus Fit for Service Fellowship that I'm in. He's an amazing dude, got a powerful story. And yeah, we get into it. I think we talked for about 90 minutes. Great guy. And he was one of the guys that I first, that in our first summit in Tulum that I stayed with at what was called Casa Ganesh. It was an amazing house, an amazing experience, and we all got to bond. So it was, uh, it was great. It was, it was great to have one-on-one time with him and get into his story, unpack it, and hear his outlook on life. So this interview was done on the 22nd of May. So things have obviously evolved in our world since then, but things are still obviously in a bit of chaos, but they are improving. So just kind of wanted to give you guys a timeline. Obviously, I do some re- episodes. I have to record them in advance, but I'm, re- I'm doing once a week. I'm putting in a member from the Fit for Service. So some of, these, some of these will take longer than others, just so you guys are aware. All right. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Again, I say hope, but I know you will. So sit back, relax. Stephen Fielden coming right up. And we are on. Steve, welcome to the show, man. What's up? How you doing, bro? What's happening? Good. Well, just coming to the end of a busy week, as we just were talking about, um, this week was two days of content that my buddy Scott Duffy and I put together and produced a, an event, live stream event called COVID uh, Business Festival. So we've just been trying to help entrepreneurs sort of get through this dodgy piece of real estate here in terms of uh, the whole COVID-19. So Mm. and just providing some support content, adding some value and, and bringing uh, brands and companies together to give you know, free resources and tools and advice and just uh, some well-earned support. That's amazing, man. So how did that come together? Like what, what was that process like? Well, it's kind of, um, kind of a fun thing. You know, Scott and I talk on a regular basis and I noticed that he was doing a, uh, a daily Facebook live show called What Now? 
and every once in a while, you know, I would tune in and then I heard her over the transom. I work at um, a division of SAP, which is a, a big global brand founded in Germany, headquartered in Germany. And SAP Concur is the company that I work for, the division which is headquartered here in Washington state. And um, the small business team uh, leadership, you know, put the word out that they were looking for ways to engage small business owners and entrepreneurs in, in a really authentic way and to, to not have to hit the sales message um, as frequently because it's not the appropriate time to do that. So I was like, okay, here's an idea. Let's produce a live stream event. And I have the guy who's done these kinds of things before and let's see if there's something there to, to sort of um, uh, create a hook for it. So that was kind of the impetus for just putting, putting resources together. And that's kind of where my sweet spot is. I love, you know, being able to bring the resources and support from, uh, large company brands. I used to work at Microsoft and now I'm at a division of SAP, SAP Concur, and, you know, produce events and experiences which engage, engage our audience in, in meaningful ways. It's awesome, man. It's, it's such a great idea. I mean, it's where like, I mean, so many people have been impacted with this thing in, in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Where have you seen, or what, where are people struggling? Like, where have you seen like the most, like, in general, like what kind of businesses, like what do you, what do you see as like the main, like what is happening with everybody? You know, like where have you? Oh, the, I mean the hot spots. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it doesn't discriminate. Right. So yeah. it's far and, and deep reaching in terms of everything from big, big global conglomerates in the travel space. I mean, yeah. the, the travel industry is just decimated right down to main street. And, you know, I, I love being able to, um, highlight businesses on Main Street, you know, the, the sole proprietor, the entrepreneur, the, you know, the small business with five employees, you know, there's so much goodness going on there. And it's all about, you know, my specific role has to do with community engagement and the Concur community is largely of our customers and I drive content strategy for that. So wherever I can, you know, bring some thought leadership, some inspiration, some support, some perspective, that's kind of where my my role, my, my function within the organization stands right now. But yeah, I mean, you see, you know, just some of our friends, you know, Savannah and Eric and Larry, and, you know, they're all in businesses that uh, require, you know, customer traffic, you know, the restaurant business or, you know, Savannah's a a healer. So whether it's her massage therapy or dance class or or whatever energy work that she does, that all requires um, in-person engagement. Yeah. It's hard to come by these days. So. Yeah, it's super interesting. It's bizarre. Like, how has it affected you personally, like, the last couple months? Have you... Um, you know, surprisingly, it's been, you know, just going deeper into... I, I've been working from home for a while. So I, I work... Same. Yeah, I had, a, I had a distributed team. I shifted teams recently in the past few months, which are more uh, local. So once we do get back into the office, I'll probably be going to the office more frequently than I uh, was for the past year and a half. Um, and, but it's really been, you know, deciding to join fit for service and, uh, digging into that. This has been a great container for that. So I'm not sort of looking at looking, you know, twiddling my thumbs, wondering what to do. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot of contemplation. There's, you know, I make a commitment to getting down in the gym and, and, you know, getting that in, you know, several times a week. I have two boys who are, you know, I have them uh, every other week. And so trying to figure out their schooling. I mean, that I went through um, a week that I would not wish on anybody. And so many, you know, anybody with kids is going through this distance learning experience, which is mm-hmm. just, you know, very stressful. 
very stressful. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. So how is that now? Like, how was that? How has that been? So everybody's just kind of how long before they started to take everything online? Like, how has that shift? Oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, it was a few weeks before they uh, were able to put a, an official distance learning plan together. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know the legalities of it, but the school districts are required to give equal access, like fair access to um, learning. Mm. And until they had a, um, a strategy and a, a, a few tactics to be able to implement that, they were just handing out, um, you know, smaller assignments, you know, less, less curriculum based and just sort of, it would be nice for you to do, you know, some reading on a regular basis and get outside and do some PE. And, but now it's pretty rigorous. They've set up a teams, you know, environment. There are all sorts of online resources and, and, um, uh, tools that, you know, I have two sons, one's in seventh grade, the other one's just getting into sixth grade. And (laughs) they have a, different like the 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 sixth grader has teams and that's his environment the the other one has um numerous other different apps within a learning environment so he has to go back and forth between a couple different spaces but you know it's because there's not the you know hands-on in-person one-on-one you know uh, exchange of information from the teacher to the student in, in the classroom the teachers have to put it all down in paper and trying to convey like this is the assignment for today and there are 10 steps to that assignment and you have to read through what what looks like a very detailed, you know, yeah. uh, instruction manual as a 13 year old. Do you really want to read instructions like that? You know, it's, it's, it's really challenging. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn about yourself through that? <laughs> as far as <laughs> the patience level you got to have, I mean, it must just be super. Yeah. You have to be super patient with, with every facet and it's e- so easy to get in in this sort of um, downward spiral of feeling frustration and like, what the heck am I doing here? I, I, I don't know if I'm doing harm or good in terms of being able to convey, trying to interpret what the teacher wants or getting used or acclimated even myself to become, you know, come up to speed on, okay, this is what you do and this is how you use the tools and whatnot. You're learning as you go with your, with your, with your child. So, and some really good advice I saw over a post on Instagram. You know, I sort of saved the picture and look at it at every once in a while is that, you know, if you think about <clears throat> all the different hats that a head of household, you know, wears, so you're head of household, you are a, you know, employee, you're a parent, you're a teacher, and then there's various different subjects of teaching. So of topics, so you're English, math, reading, you know, any number of things and each of them have their own set of instructions and expectations. So it's compartmentalization, you know, being able to really just focus on the one thing that's Mm -hmm. at hand right now and not, it goes back to that book essentialism that Kyle. Yeah. um, Where is by? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's determining what that next immediate priority is. The, right. the, the one priority and it's like, okay, we're going to focus on this for an hour and then we'll see where we get to. And then we'll make the next decision after another hour. So, and then, uh, you know, over time you put the, the building blocks together and you, you make some progress over a couple of days. So you can look wow. back, back on it and see some, see some successes. Wow. What a, what a lesson though in itself. I mean, just thinking as well, like how different the school system is now too and how people learn and how the kids, like what is it, what is it even like now? Do they, is everything on iPads, iPads? And I mean, what is it even like? I don't even know what well, it's like. They both have their, their laptops. Um, yeah. And 
you know, I got um, a little stand-up desk, so at least have another work surface that um, one of them can be working at. I have my desk, and the other one sits on the couch and um, has a lap a lap desk. So we each have our work surfaces, and I kind of rotate between spending time yeah. with Nick and making sure the older one is at least focused on the task at hand. You know, this these are your to-do items. Let's check them off. And then the other one, Max, is... Um, I have to pretty much sit by his side and encourage him and just walk through the steps and let him do it. And cause he, he needs that prompting. And then I, in between breaks, I check on my email and fire off an email here and there. And then I'm doing, you know, catch up work in the evening, uh, wow. just to, just to square things away for the day. Wow. I, um, parenting, they say is like the best teaching, right? Like you learn the best lessons from that. I, I haven't had kids yet, but man, the things you must learn about yourself just must be, just such a, an amazing accomplishment. Well, I don't think it's, I wouldn't, it's always a work in progress. So I yeah. don't remember that something's accomplished completely. <laughs> so there's uh, there's That's that true, too. Right? Like, you As know, they get older too, it's like different problems come and yeah. different advice and it's like. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, you know, Nick, Nick's, uh, you know, just turned 13 in March and keeping a close eye on that sort of negative self-talk um, when challenges pop up and he doesn't quite, you know, achieve what he wanted to get done. And you got to nip that right in the bud and, you know, reframe from the things that we've, we've been learning too, in terms of uh, just giving yourself some grace and, you know, you might not know it right now, but doesn't mean that you're in, you know, incapable of learning what you need to learn. So, and practice, you know, practice, 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 and just, uh, you know, asking for help. I mean, that's another thing, you know, putting your hand up and saying, Hey, I can't quite get this. What, what can we do? Totally. That's a huge thing. That's a huge lesson is asking for help. People are so afraid to ask for help, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like yeah. a, it's it's some sort of vulnerability that people are afraid to to show or weakness or something. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that my good friend Derek and I um, talk about. And we've talked about it on uh, the calls on Sundays with the rest of the guys. Is you know, it's part of the culture. It's you know, you go through from your earliest days of education all the way through higher education, through getting a degree if you're in that, on that path and you're scored and graded and, you know, uh, appreciated based on your individual con- contribution or your individual achievement as a, as a unit. And, you know, unless you're playing a team sport, you know, from hockey and whatnot, it's, you're relying on your teammates, you're on the road and you're building connections with them and you have a network and you have a support system. And, um, but when you're out there in real life and you're not playing a sport or if, you're trying to run a business or you're an entrepreneur and you're deciding to go that route, you have to have a team around you and tapping people that you, you know, resonate with and you're on the same frequency with and um, is super important. Mm. Man, it's so important. Let's, um, let's go back. Let's go. I want to take it to learn more about your story here because oh, yeah? I know you got quite the story and let's, let's go back to young Steve growing up. Let's take it right back. <laughs> Walk us well, I mean, through. How, how far do you want to go back to zero? Let's, I mean, I, let's go. Let's go to around because there's something here that I wanna I wanna touch on around when yeah. you're eight, eight years old. Obviously, we got to go into that. But like, just walk us through what it was like. Where did you grow up? And walk us through a bit of your journey. Sure. Well, uh, I was born and raised over in London, England. Um, so my my dad's originally from London, and my mom emigrated from the Caribbean from Barbados. So yeah, I had lots of family. She decided she wanted to study nursing and um, moved to London for that. Met my dad whilst he was in in, um, medical school and she was in nursing school. And 
68, I was, I was born. And then in 81, my family moved to the US. So at the age of 10, I, I went into boarding school. And um, it's one of those funny things when, you know, adversity, you know, how do I, how do I relate to adversity in terms of the, the core theme of your podcast? And, and there are aspects of boarding school, which were, which were, you know, if you've seen movies where corporal punishment was uh, rampant and whatnot, it was still around in the late, the late seventies when I went off to, um, off to boarding school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our headmaster was probably, aside from my grandfather's and my father, he was probably one of the most more influential and um, impactful male characters in my early upbringing. But he was a, you know, former uh, British Army captain. And so he didn't take guff from anybody. And it was a very strict environment. You know, there, it was an all boys boarding school. So there was, there was rampant sort of hazing going on. Um, I was a target. I, you know, the sense of belonging was fleeting at, at most. You know, there would be a sense of like, oh, you know, the guy's, you know, part of the crew, and then all of a sudden, it's very clear that I wasn't part of the crew. So there was that turmoil. And then the last year I was there, my parents had decided to emigrate to the U.S. and that they thought it best for me to complete my last year uh, at boarding school whilst they moved to the states. So I just had my grandparents to lean on. Um, for weekend, we were able to leave school for weekend visits to family. Um, and every once in a while I would visit my, either my grandmother cause they would have, my grandparents were divorced by that time. And we, you know, I spent many a weekend at my grandmother's, you know, bemoaning how awful school was from a, uh, social perspective. I mean, the schooling was great, learned quite a bit in terms of pure education, but, uh, relating to, friends and thinking that you had friends uh was kind of fleeting so a sense of belonging was from a social perspective was kind of challenging Mm. was what was it like as far as like so there was like a lot of like disciplinary like a lot of like physical abuse stuff like that or was um i think i mean it was it was definitely present i mean it was if you screwed up you would know about it if you stood outside the headmaster's office for punishment that was um, a, a distinct possibility that if you felt that you it warranted you receiving a beating that you would, you know, on Friday nights, <clears throat> we would Friday nights, you know, leaning into the weekend, we would do Saturday morning school. We had classes on Saturday morning. So we were schooling six days a week and then we played wow. sports Saturday afternoon. Um, and yeah, all the games, whether they were played at home or away occurred on Saturday afternoons. So if I were, if, if we knew that one of the masters, one of the teachers was walking rounds and we could kind of play up and fool around on a Friday night. And, you know, we ran the risk of getting stood outside the headmaster's office or being beaten on the spot by the master on duty Mm. um, for punishment for fooling around and not going straight off to sleep. So um, that's what, you know, 11, 12, 13 year old boys do. They, you know, they play the fool and they try and push the boundaries and, Yeah. (laughs) yeah, It's uh, it comes it comes with the land with the landscape. Yeah. What did it's you? Funny. It's funny. I mean, I was saying earlier on, which is, whilst those are challenges, they're actually some of my fondest memories too. You know, yeah. it, it's a it's a interesting, you know, two sides of the same coin. You know, you learn a lot about what you like, what you don't like. They leave impressions in terms of the hardships. The distance to my family was particularly challenging. You know, feeling homesick. You know, 
a lot of a lot of the time, and coming back flying flying back from the states at, you know, after a big holiday like Christmas or something like that, oh, yeah. and the jet lag which left you lying awake in bed because you can't fall asleep until the wee hours of the morning when you go back to London. It's 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 not good. I know that feeling, man, because I you know had to do that trip back and forth, leaving, and you know you go visit family, and then you got to go back. It's fucking brutal. Yeah, especially you know you you just it's like such a you just feel so sick and you just feel so man it's trauma in itself going through that shit. You yeah, know? it is. Like I mean, goodbyes and that that sobbing and it's like man, like it's just yeah. not natural. Yeah, I mean, in, in um, years after I, I emigrated to the U- U.S., obviously myself, a few years after that, I think. I don't know, we were raking leaves or something like that. And my dad sort of stopped and he goes, I just want to say sorry for leaving you. You know, and he kind of passed on one of those few lessons, uh, which was, you know, always keep the family together. Um, so now, you know, that I'm recently, somewhat recently divorced and bringing my kids back to the other house, you know, that's always all that Sunday, what I call Sunday syndrome. You know, that's that goodbye, that departure, that separation tends to, well up and it's you know i interpret it differently now in terms of not it's not necessarily necessarily a lack or a feeling of lack it just feels like a fullness of appreciation of the connection that you have with the people that you love yeah and we're all seeking that love and yeah you know you get so you have such great experiences and then you got to say bye it's like Uh yeah there's i don't think it ever gets easier you just kind of i still get it too you know i've been doing it for so many years but it's just such Learning that when you're a teenager, you're a young man, young woman, it's, it's, it's something that, you know, most kids shouldn't have to go through as far as like a long distance sort of thing. I mean, should they, because it makes them stronger, but shouldn't they, because it's like, it's really tough. And especially in your situation where you're going to London, it's a, it's, it's a whole different world, time difference. Like that messes us up, man. <laughs> like, yeah. It was, uh, you know, part of the, um, there's a connection I wanted to make here in terms of showing up as a victim, like occurring to, that was part of the commentary that, um, that my ex-wife kind of gave me feedback. Like, you know, you just have like this victimhood feeling around you. And I didn't, I did an inventory, like I did an audit of like some of these seminal events that happened in my life. And the, yeah, I was, I was a victim and, you know, dealing with the trauma around that and sort of ironing out and getting flat with it and coming to terms with it is is all part of the work mm. so it's um yeah i mean having your mother and your father show up and sort of give you uh back then it was a a boom box i mean it was it was a sp- nice two speakers with a cassette player and a, a radio in it and you know it was it was a nice gift um but it was like okay here you go we're out, we're out of here and i was like oh, i didn't want to get out of that car i wanted them to take me with them i didn't uh you know, I had phone call after phone call saying, I don't want to be here. Um, and it was that sort of stiff, stiff upper lip, you know, you're going to finish what you started. Um, why well, didn't decide? Why to did you, it. why did they send you there? Were you like, just like a bad boy or was it just? Oh no. I mean, it's totally the opposite. So I mean, that was still, it's kind of funny two tracks. I mean, I had always gone to private schools and I, um, that was just a good feeder school into some of the big um, well-to-do and well-known public schools. Public schools are equivalent to high schools. So if you've heard of, you know, 
Epsom, Harrow, Eton, Charterhouse, um, Merchant Taylors. I mean, these are all very well-established, um, equivalent to schools like uh, Canterbury, Andover, Taft uh, on the East Coast, A1 Old Farms. I mean, these are all well-to-do schools um, that then feed up into Ivy League schools. So it was like Orley Farm School to Epsom, Harrow, Eton, that kind of thing, then on to Cambridge or Oxford. That was that was the path that was sort of laid forward for me um, from a very early age. My and to give you a little bit more context, my father was a, a surgeon, um, and my grandfather was a hematologist. Um, he was part of the research team. My grandfather was part of the research team that helped develop penicillin back in the day. Wow. He'd, he'd done um, studies around uh, blood uh, and oxygen uptake. Uh, he, you know, he's the doctor, I think, to the, to the UK Olympic team. He was studying oxygenated blood at, at altitude in Mexico City uh, during the, those Olympics. Mm. Um, he was an, advoc- uh, an activist, uh, doctors against nuclear armaments. So they were pretty cerebral, academic um, high achieving individuals. And, uh, it was never forced upon me to go into the medical field, but, um, there was expectation to do well in terms of what I did in cl- in school mm-hmm. and my studies. So <clears throat> that was, um, sort of the backdrop in terms of the path that was laid forward for me. Um, and again, going back to that, you know, my dad was a product of world war two, right? He was born in 1940. We're celebrating his 80th birthday next week. And, you know, he still remembers, you know, bombs going over uh, London, you know, uh, when he was a little boy and coming out of the war, he had very few clothes, you know, there was still food rationing going on and he, what he is always about delivering the best opportunities for his family. Mm. So that was kind of part and parcel of the expectation is just to, to dive into that path. What is his thoughts on what's happening right now? <laughs> as far as like the big scope of what he's gone through and what that generation went through, are they, they must like, what are, what is the thought of somebody that's 80 right now about everything? In terms of everything, what society like as far as like what, general or yeah, like as far or? as like what is happening with, with COVID and, and some of the stuff that they had to go through, like, you know, they had to endure some hard times. Mm-hmm. Right. And I just wonder, cause I haven't really asked anybody an elderly or just, the perspective of like what they're, how they see things and do they think it's crazy? Do they think like, what's, what's, what's your dad think about all this stuff going on right now? Well, he's, he comes from, like I said, an academic medical background. Yeah. So, and they live in a, in a, in a, a planned, you know, assisted living community. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's part of the, the health uh, care delivery um, committee and mm-hmm. he's, He's all about, you know, following CDC guidelines and right. he understands, you know, the implications around to, to mask up or not mask up. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he understands, you know, fields of sterile, you know, sterilization. Yeah. And, um, and um, but I also think he understands that, you know, there needs to be a balance, you know, right. um, and we'll need to come to some common agreements and, and clarity around how to balance out the 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 medical science you know the scientific parameters versus um, the human aspects of we need to you know we're social creatures right so to how does that affect you because you're on this kind of this path of like you're hearing all these 
you know, spiritual people talking about, you know, energies and this and that, and you're embodying it too. But then you have somebody that's so science in your family, you know, so, um, you know, it's, it's a completely different world, right? Like how, how do you navigate through all that? Because it's almost like a a complete shift for you, right? Well, not complete. I mean, one of the things I see lacking, one of the privileges, I mean, I feel like I come from a very privileged background, right? And the education and the pedagogy around critical lateral thinking so you can come up with some common sense responses and no one's playing in the gray area these days it's black or white us or them you're either with me or against me and we can't live in the polarity of that and i think whenever you start to deal with absolutes and rigidity you're getting into some dangerous territory because you only need one case to prove you wrong to you know have your whole equation fall apart and therefore sort of flexibility and cooperation and collaboration and understanding and a little bit of grace goes a long way into sort of gently navigating through some pretty confusing and convoluted you know experiences out there so you know personally i i mean i i haven't faced up masked up to go into stores i generally keep my distance you know i feel like there's some uh, real common sense around if you're breathing CO2 all day in terms of rebreathing what's right in front of your face, there's some you know harm in that. I'm in my apartment, you know, most of the day anyway, and you know, it's just about common sense. I mean, yeah. don't be going to you know going to a gym and expecting to be huffing and puffing and and going into a sauna and you know sharing air in a, in a moist you know hot space with people who may be carrying the virus. It's that kind of stuff I think people are really going to have to think twice about or come to agreements again around, okay, we're at a point where we're going to go back to introducing some of the past experiences, which may have been a little uh, dodgy to begin with. So we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, it's interesting. So I I wanted to, because I've been talking about trauma a lot lately in my life and I know it's things that, you know, we've been kind of unpacking in the community and, working through it. And I wanted to ask you, when you were growing up, do you have a specific thing that now you look back at that you can pinpoint that had the most impact on your life that caused trauma? Or is there any specific things that you're addressing now that you really see has been coming to the forefront of like having to deal with it? Like, is there any specific thing that you feel has impacted your life the most? I mean, I go back to the boarding school experience. And the whole departure of family, yeah, you know, I think that goes a long way to, and again, some context, you know, I'm the eldest of three. I have two younger sisters. My mom is one of seven sisters. Um, my grandmothers were always very important to me. So having one of, you know, a significant female role sort of, and again, when they were even living in London, I usually liked my mom dropping me off at school, but then I was sort of inflicting myself with that trauma just i mean to have that sort of motherly connection as in terms of a goodbye because she was always more affectionate and that felt better to me than my dad saying hey see you later bye you know and off (laughs) off you go and you know i had to i'm wanting to have that sort of um physical touch in terms of a part of the departure you know uh or, or goodbye scenario was always a nice, you know, component to that. So I've always, you know, sought out female approval and validation. And that's a big part of where, you know, I'm unpacking that and, you know, 
really trying to figure out what was the crux of that. And I think that habitual sort of weekly or every other week, you know, rut that was put into, into, into me in terms of uh, that wound was a big part of what sort of lingered far on into the future. Went through the, ex- I'm going, the exact same thing. That, that yeah. goodbye, the, the mom, the, yeah. the, the, because, you know, having that, you get that love and then that love is sort of taken away. You, there's that void that we're trying to fill. And then that shows up in, and I've been just getting, unpacking this in my own life. As you know, we did this thing in the men's call and I was in yeah. tears and it's like, that can stem into so, so many different things from that feeling that we're trying to cover up yeah. our mom being away. Yeah. I think, you know, there was also, if you look back at, you know, uh, a little older cultures, I mean, there's a very specific, you know, point in a boy's life where the men of the, of your tribe take you off and they start teaching you things, right? They start teaching you to hunt. They start teaching you how to make fire. They start passing down tribal lore. They try to figure out how you fit in, what you're good at, start giving you skills to use, you know, and it's, again, it's a, dichotomy between two sides of the same coin between my dad did the best he could he was saving lives so when you look at like when i was a little kid yeah i missed him you know he was not terribly present in terms of i could probably count the number of times he came to a sports event on one hand maybe two hands and i i played rugby and and cricket and i liked having him there i liked seeing him you know present I would go into, I loved going into the hospital with him on a Saturday morning to do rounds when I was younger, before I went to boarding school, mm. he would sometimes take me into the hospital. But you know, the, the component of that also was that he would leave me at the nurse's station and then he'd say, I'll be back at noon. And then he wouldn't be back until two because he had to deal with patient stuff. So there was a wanting there in terms of having more dad time. Um, but then, you know, skip forward years and years. I must've been, I don't know. It's probably in 2001, I decided to do a, like a 10 day road trip by myself out to Death Valley and Joshua Tree and just mm-hmm. go camping and do some photography and hike out to the middle of the desert and take some, you know, sunrise and sunset shots. And through all that trip, I was journaling and like every step of the way, I, all I could feel is like the presence of my dad, you know, all the things that he taught me when we were out camping, how to pack your, your gear up in your car, how to set up camp, how to deal with stuff, how to deal with adversity in terms of uh, what you might face on one of those trips by yourself. And then it's sort of a deep sense of appreciation for what he was able to, you know, invest in me. So again, I think it has some has something has to do with time in terms of being able to get some perspective to put that sort of wanting in context and the, the stuff around my mom, you know, there's, that just sort of folded over into ongoing relationships, you know, always a source of, you know, the connection to the, to the, to the woman in my life is a source of approval and um, comfort. Yeah. It's, it gives you this, yeah, it's validation, right? It's like, I, uh, yeah, I, I've tried to seek that in so many ways and it's, I never realized that that was what it was, mm-hmm. you know, when you get to the root of what it is, because that's a deep rooted thing when you are trying to compensate for your mother or, you know, not having her around as much and, and, and things can just spiral fast and they can just, you know, with substance abuse and seeking approval through women. And it's really, it's really just been so interesting to me just, just to like 
realize that that's the thing that causes so many people to kind of do what they do and Mm -hmm. seeing it in my own life and then hearing about it. But we don't think that it's a big deal because it doesn't sound like it would be a big deal, but those little things along the way are actually the ones that impact us the most sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, I mean, I had my thoughts are going to, you know, this, um, ongoing exercise or ongoing development of, you know, being self-reliant, um, and having a sense of, um, purpose and direction. And that when you're going through these experiences where you're that, that safety mechanism or that safety, that safe feeling environment keeps on getting pulled away Mm. and the environment that you're going to is also, uh, not necessarily, um, safe because you're the target of of regular bullying yeah. and you, you're not necessarily a <clears throat> a top athlete so you don't have that skill set for people you know to really sort of admire you for uh, or accept you for when you're running in the middle and you haven't figured out what you're really good at or how you show up and people sort of shine a light on you because you're really good at that mm. um i think that's where uh, you know you can get into some dodgy ground. So, what I'm on, always on the lookout when I look at my my boys is to figure out to be observant of what are they particularly good at and where where do they? I mean, the obvious thing is they they love playing video games, but I'm not going to call out that they're great. Not, I generally do not want to push them into you know pro pro video game sport you know players. But Nick is obsessed about how to build computers at the moment, and you know, I have a friend or two who work um, in quantum computer science. So I'm like, would it be of interest for you to talk to them and just have, you know, a a conversation about what they're doing with their, you know, projects around quantum computing. So I'm trying to find ways to introduce them to people and again, sort of build up that sort of network around him. And he's getting to that age where those kinds of conversations could lead to paths that give him quite, quite a bit of joy. So, and that's kind of where my, where, you know, tearing a page out of my dad's playbook, you know, he put me in touch with a a career counselor after I went to, this is a different kind of adversity. I played rugby and enjoyed it too much at um, university, was on academic probation after my first semester. And um, I had gone in as a declared oceanography major. You know, Jacques Cousteau was my, my, my hero and I wanted to go and be an oceanographer. And then, you know, the reality of zoology and biology at the AP and collegiate level and then calculus and all this other kind of stuff just took the wind out of my sails. And I was pretty, pretty depressed about how bad I was doing in, in, uh, in school, in, in university. And he's, he put me in touch with a career counselor and she said, you know what, throw, throw the, the path out and just look through the course, you know, directory find a few things that just purely interest you just like, Oh, that sounds interesting. And then pick those, put that semester of courseware together for yourself and take those courses. Mm. And that's where I, I came across my um, sweet spot, which was I jumped into a whole bunch of communication courses and writing courses, but then also married it up with a, an honors uh, colloquium class about um, climate change. And so I was taking, you know, some of the papers I was doing and I got to publish an ed up, um, an op-ed published in the Providence Journal about climate change um, was taking that writing and communications of a technical topic and interpreting it down to, you know, an everyday person's level. 
mm-hmm. and that put me on the path into uh, high tech uh, space and doing public relations for tech companies out in Boston. Mm. So that's why I'm on the search for you know for Nick and Max is to identify those areas where they you call out their natural strengths. And I think that's also lacking in today's society is we don't take a close look at you know young a young person's areas of excellence in a really in a, in a really sort of genuine and authentic you know on an organic way like who are they really built to be yeah and, and and you know highlight those things those things are so important we don't get that because in school it's like go with what's in demand go here and just well, it's not even in, in demand it's this is this is what you need to memorize and you need yeah. to regurgitate and it's a school system. I think you talked to, to Claire about this too. This is a school system which is built on creating factory workers. Yeah. And this is not what we need now. And that's, you know, where folks need to see some innovation and we need to evolve the, the learning systems that we have. Mm. What's the best piece of advice that you got in your life that, w- that impacted you that you would give to your kids? Well, we just kind of touched on it, which was, you know, when they get to that place of finding things that are just purely interesting yeah. and really yeah. explore, explore that and understand what the principles are, the disciplines are that stand behind that activity. Mm. But who the, gave you that advice? Oh, the counselor, the counselor. counselor the job but how, counselor. how was that with your parents though? Like how did that, because. Oh, they fully encouraged it because they, yeah. they, they put me in touch with a, with a, you know, career counselor. Right. Was, so they encouraged you to do that. Yeah. I was right. 18 years old and they saw an opportunity or a need that I, was inter- you know they like would it be of help you know to put that's you that's great though that you had parents like that yeah then that's what i've done all my life to you know again it's two sides of the same coin they're yeah. super involved and super supportive and almost kind of are in front of me trying to clear the way right and to some degree that's great and to some degree i feel like i was at a deficit and too many things were maybe handed to me again that that position of privilege um, so many stories that I've heard over the years and the, the work that I've um, personal development work I've been involved with production teams for weekends and FFS folks there's just such horrific trauma you know that you hear from people who are now getting to a point where they are wanting to heal and to really get to the bottom of it and I feel unworthy and kind of like an imposter because I'm like god damn I had it so easy like why, why am I feeling fucked up you know, and I think that there's there's always a fine balance between facilitating and helping one's child, and then there's like over over being overbearing and intrusive into their world, so they can't discover their own strengths. Mm. And I think you know probably a little bit of the latter. Um, and again, one of the other more traumatic experiences I had in my life was at, at boarding school and on now on the east coast of of Connecticut uh, on the east coast of these the US uh, I think it was in my freshman year two kids decided to pick on me again you know source of so source of bullying and they under a ruse of you know inviting me to hang out in our dorm room or their dorm room and they held me in there and basically interrogated me and being of Jewish extraction um, Jewish heritage you know having two kids you know speaking German voices and acting like you know Nazis and interrogating me uh, like okay. the Gestapo was kind of traumatic. So I literally, I literally disassociated for 24 hours, crawled in my bed, fell asleep and didn't wake up for 24 hours. And no one knew where I was at. 
And when my parents discovered that, they were into the headmaster's office before you could say, you know, this is wrong. And they just didn't, uh, they didn't get the, the support that they felt was deserve, uh, deserving of the inc- incident. So I changed schools once again. But yet that first you know, year and a half of that one boarding school, I've, there are three or four guys who I met there who are still lifelong friends. So there's always the silver lining to the, to the, to the experience. Wow. So how old were you when that happened? Because I want to, I'm going to ask you about another. 14. Tell us about when you were eight years old. You had a, oh yeah. So I wanted no. to dive into that. I was just kind of, I didn't know if you were going to talk about that one, but you had a gun to your head. Talk well, to us about that. It was, I was held up in our home. I happened to be down in the living room and turned, turned around, heard her footsteps coming down the hallway and turned around and there was this, you know, young person, probably 18 or they, looked like an adult to me, probably 16, 17. I was eight years old-ish. And they had a, they had a gun in their hand. And they were like, Where's, where are your parents? I'm like, mm, I don't know. I think, and my dad's out. Uh, I don't know where my mom is. But my dad's out getting you know, takeout for dinner. And that was the truth. You know? But my, the reality of it was my mom was upstairs feeding my youngest sister and putting down my middle sister. So we were just in the house by ourselves. And they had broken into the wrong house. And you know, there I am at eight years old out on the sidewalk with the policeman, you know, identifying somebody who'd helped me up at gunpoint. And for what, you know, for whatever reason, uh, it just didn't divulge what was, uh, what was happening uh, upstairs. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was a moment. I mean, looking back at it again, you know, victimhood, but it wasn't, it was one of those, like, as an adult, you probably have more visceral reaction to it as an eight year old. I'm like, oh, okay. Hmm, interesting. That, was, that was unexpected. <laughs> That didn't affect you looking back. It doesn't. I what? It was. It was okay. I mean, it was okay. I mean, it was pulling, going out on the sidewalk with my slippers and my my pajamas and my robe, you know, to identify the person who just held me up. That was a little scary. The the insight around that was that something. The, my intuition has always been pretty strong. Mm. And um, talking with jo- our friend Jordan about human design and you know understanding one's you know wiring in terms of the nervous system, et cetera. Um, intuition runs strong with my mom. It runs strong with me. It runs you know, strong with my other sisters. And I, I you know, un, unawares, I leaned on that in that moment mm. to, you know, not say anything more than I need to or not react. You know, I think there have been some places and times where things have been pretty horrific, where I've been able to be calm. And then there are things where, I'm stepping up to do a speech on stage and I'm a nervous wreck and I can't, you know, I get all yeah. flustered. So it's interesting how one's, you know, nervous system reacts to different situations um, and what may feel like or sound like a big, uh, a big to do or, you know, pretty adverse situation. Somehow something else kicks in. And um, if one sort of inventories those moments in one's life, then you can sort of suss out, what might be a strength for you. And uh, so that was my point there was that intuition, intuition kicked in and um, I knew to say little to nothing. Smart. So let's talk about today. Like what, cause I know we're all going through our own things and we're all processing different things. And especially in this group, you know, fit for service is just yeah. so many different personalities and there's so many different people and it's beautiful. But like, what is your biggest struggle right now that, that you, your demons that you're facing, that you're working through? 
I would say um, one of the ones I'm still, you know, eyeing down and eyeballing to get a get a real grip on is my love hate relationship with sugar. Mm. So, you know, the big part of the fit for service philosophy is that, you know, physical fitness is, is a big component to what helps augment everything else. So being listening closely to Kyle Kingsbury and he's one of the coaches I go to frequently for just, you know, one's own sort of, metabolic systems and optimizing that and some methodologies around what works. And I need to really kick down and double down on um, the guidance I've been getting from, from him and other sources too. And um, yeah, I mean, part of the, part of that whole pattern was again, part of the established um, pattern was when I being dropped off at boarding school, I would invariably find like a bag of candy in my bag as a surprise from my mom and that would sort of soothe me as I was going through the week. And I would, you know, sneak a candy bar, you know, when, before we'd go down for bed and uh, we'd all have our own little stashes of stuff and it would be like a little black market, you know, in <laughs> a bunch of 10 and 11 year olds. But yeah, I mean, that was, I'm not pointing blame. It's just looking back at, well, where did this habit start? And yeah, sugar is present. Um, and I would like it to be more under control because I think it's a big part of where in terms of, uh, addiction, like addictive behavior, hmm. is probably an addiction to sugar. Yeah, so. it's um, it's a sneaky one, sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's everywhere. It's bright colors. You know, everywhere you see. Oh, it's okay. We sell it everywhere, so it must be okay for you, right? Yeah. Crazy man. Yep. These cereals and all that crap and Coke and Pepsi. It's just so in your face that you know we're taught to trust the people that are giving us these things. Yeah. Like, you yeah, know. I mean, and that, you know, the curse and the blessing of, you know, again, working at Microsoft had so many great things working at Microsoft, along with the fridges with all the soda. And um, so it's, it's right, accessible, free. My current employer has that, those fridges too. I do better, you know, at only having, you know, it would be like, you know, four or five a day. Now it might be a couple times a week. But working from home has been a real, you know, silver lining, again, benefit, because I, I don't have it, you know, I'm drinking, I fill this up, you know, 10 times a day with water and I'm not tempted to go to the, I don't have it in my fridge. You know, I might have soda water, you know, something. Have you, have you tried like these, there's this monk fruit that I use, this monk fruit yeah. drops and man, like it really, I don't, I don't need sugar ever because this stuff just obviously doesn't raise the insulin. It doesn't give you the same sort of, same sort of rush, but man, the flavor of it is just... It's like sugar, man. It's crazy. Yeah. I've tried monk fruit in the past. I just haven't repurchased it. That's all. Um, and I, I want to get back to that. So that's a good reminder. I'll take an action item out of this call. To, it's, to it, it's amazing, man, because like, and especially when making coffees or teas, that stevia stuff, when it first came out as like mainstream, it was super bitter. It was almost like aspartame. It was gross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now I feel like they've, they've, they've made it so that some of these sweeteners, like all, not all are good for you, but they're pretty... Some of them are pretty good. They're expensive, but they're, they give you what you need for sugar without the insulin response. And yeah. I've found it to be super useful, and especially, you know, making a mocha or making anything. So San Pellegrino with some, some lime and some sweetener, and it feels like you're drinking yeah. a soft drink. Yeah. 
No. Yep. Noted. I'll take, I'm going to get, get on my Amazon account and order some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's interesting because we're all struggling with our things and it comes down to like, you know, sugars, sugar was one for you because you're not much of a drinker, right? You're, no, no. I didn't. In Tulum, drinking. you definitely weren't drinking like I was. No, I did. <laughs> I did my drinking back in my, my youth, my youth. Um, but did you use that as a coping mechanism as well for pain or for, did you, did, was that like a thing that kind of mask your trauma as well or not really? I, that was more about culture. I mean, it had to do with um, being on a rugby team, Yeah, you exactly. know, and we were, you know, after practice, we'd be partying after games, we'd be really partying, um, you know, being in a house, you know, living off campus in a house of rugby players. So there wouldn't only be the official parties. There would be the unofficial ones at our place. And it, so it was it was a heavy schedule for the, my liver to process all that that alcohol, and um, yeah, I mean my my grandparents drank have drank rum and water every night their whole life it seemed like, and they would in the heyday they would you know put back you know five six seven of them and they'd be really funny by the end of the evening, but it was you know sometimes a problem, um, and my mom had a particular you know my dad was never really a drinker. Um, Med school, I think, was probably his heyday of, you know, drinking and smoking, but he kind of backed off of that. And my mom was never really a drinker. So they always had is issues around, you know, getting too inebriated. I think, well, on my case in high school, did some really stupid stuff in high school, you know, yeah. uh, where they would just be waiting up for me to come home and couldn't have a conversation with them. And then they would give me the lecture the next morning, you know. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so that was always a that was always a um, experience. So I these days no, I mean I'll enjoy a scotch with a cigar every once in a while, yeah. um, and every once in a while, I think the last time I got completely sloshed was like South by Southwest a few years back. Um, but that's that was rare a rare form a rarity these days. So yeah, sugar is really and food, you know, um, it's just convenience. You know, it, what, what time of day is, is the food an issue for you? Like, is it evenings? Is it like, where, where is yeah, it? Usually evenings. Yeah. Um, because funny about that in the evenings, it's when I get, you know, when it's, when I'm doing stuff during the day and I've got my tasks to manage and I've got my schedule, I'm working, I know I'm going to be going down to my garage for my garage gym and do my workout at three 30 and then I'll come up and make some dinner and then you know, by the time evening rolls around, if I'm reading a book or whatnot, it's really quiet around my apartment. And then I get to thinking about missing my boys and mm -hmm. here I am by myself. And I always feel like, you know, I'm very much a family guy and um, loved having that family unit. It was just, you know, too toxic to, to continue in. And we both had our, our roles to play in that. And I think on balance, this is the healthy, this is the healthier path, you know, for everyone involved. So it's it's a tough decision but you know it's a is a being able to again you know these are kind of conversations we get into into our men's calls like being able to make a tough decision and follow it through is is part about stepping up yeah. and and leading and uh, you know being a, being an example for yourself and for your boys how how have you been now since getting out of your other relationship and you know taking time for yourself do you like, how are you with, you know, looking for someone else? Like how, how has that been for you? Because that's, that's difficult, right? I mean, I've never had a marriage before. I have kids with somebody else. 
but I can only imagine, you know, cause I've gone through the breakups that I've gone through that are hard enough. Never mind like the attachment of, of the kids and the, should you do this? Should you do that? Like, how has that been for you? That transition. Um, even though you know the, it's the right move, like how have you been processing that? Specific to that or specific to moving into a new relationship? Well, yeah, like a little bit of both. Like did you take the, like how much time did you take for, to, to process and then moving into like the new thing, like that whole arena of like, when's the right time? Am I doing it for the wrong reasons? Am I, you know, it, seeking it, this? Yeah, it feels all blended to me. Um, yeah. And it, um, I haven't really... Uh, call, I couldn't point my finger at a distinct, this period of time was solo. You know, this is, again, I've sort of processed it and started, started moving toward a new vision. Um, pretty, pretty much all on the same pro, um, stage. I feel like I was pretty alone in the last, you know, 18 months to two years of, of before I pulled the trigger and, and, uh, decided to leave the marriage and was processing a lot, you know, was in counseling, was in individual counseling, couples counseling. And then there was a couple of books that I read after exiting and moving into my own place. The, one of which was um, Dr. Robert Glover's book, uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy. And super eye-opening experience to both listen to the Audible and then read the book again as a reread alongside the audible version of it. And it explained a lot of the reasons as to how I was showing up, what was the reason behind it, um, how, to, how to begin to grapple with it. And that sort of shook loose a lot of um, cobwebs and sort of put me on a new trajectory. Um, and these days, you know, I'm, I'm involved in a relationship now. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to head. Um, we spend time together as, as we can. It's a long distance relationship, so that's a little challenging, but it was born out of, um, you know, an interest to, you know, explore how we could be together and what healing could be achieved together. So um, I think that's a big part of like acknowledging that whatever stage and whatever, you know, uh, phase of life you're going, you're going to have things that you bring to that combined space where you're going to have to work, work through some stuff together and to have a, an approach where you are both um, willing to see each other just as you are and accept that and to be of service to help them through that, then there's some, there's some goodness to be, um, you know, received and given out of that. How important is it? I'm asking you this because I'm going through this too. And I just like the perspective that somebody's on the path that you're at least not doing the same thing, but on the similar trajectory. Like how important is that, that people are exploring and being curious about their growth? I mean, could you go back with somebody that's not curious about that? You know, kind of like the community we're in, right? We got these amazing people. It's like, how do you go back to the sleepiness? You have to be, what are your thoughts on, on that and, and, a, and having a partner and them having to be aligned with you in that way? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty important. Um, I think there's the two sides of this coin are accepting. Can you accept the person as they are? Yeah. You know, we've heard that time and time again, you know, from Aubrey on down that, you know, the slippery slope is when you start basing the relationship on what they could be. Could be. Man, yeah. So big. And yeah, it's a, it's a pretty significant shift of like, okay, if they were to never change, can I still love them? 
can I still give my full expression, you know, toward them? And that's, um, that comes with being clear about what you stand for as well. Like, are you presenting your full self and can they accept you for what you're up to? So you don't have to be on, I think it's important, but you don't have to be on the same path, but you at least have to be able to accept each other for whatever, you know, areas of interest or lack of interest there are. So I, I find that there's um, friction in terms of, again, this is another practice for me, like own, owning what I'm up to for the mere value that that's what I'm interested in. That's okay. So you don't, you don't, you don't dig what I'm doing or you don't get what I'm doing. That's all right. But at least respect the fact that I'm enjoying it. I'm finding value out of it, you know, and I bring back value to the conversation that, that you and I have as a couple. So that's, that's kind of the equation that I, I try to work with and try to use it as a guidepost. So interesting. So let's, let's go. I wanted to talk a little bit about books too, because as we look to wrap it up here, I, uh, I know that we've been given so many different books and it's almost overwhelming, but let's say if you had to narrow it down and you had to gift, let's say two books, <laughs> you had to gift two books to somebody. Two? That's it. That's okay, all. Let's, let's, do, let's, let's do three. Let's give th- that way. Because I, I know it's overwhelming and there's so many different ones. If you had to gift three books for whatever reason that you feel could impact somebody's life the most, what would they be? Well, one I would immediately gift them is uh, irrespective of man or woman, the no one missed a nice guy. Yeah, that would be... Uh, yeah. okay. uh, it explains a lot in terms of um, patterns that we see in relationship particularly what guys bring to the relationship um conversation another one um which i just loved when i first read it and was a real big um catalyst for me getting out of my first marriage actually uh was dan millman's book way of the peaceful warrior oh yeah got that on the shelf i haven't read it yet it is it's really enlightening yeah just for everybody when when they gets on youtube that's the cover that's yeah that's that's the new cover yeah that's the new one that's not yeah the one that's kind of interested me, I mean, there's, there's just so many. There's so many, right? <laughs> if I was, okay, so we, like we've mentioned this a couple of times. We've been in um, conversation on Sunday mornings um, every other week, and we're going to increase it now to weekly. And I used to um, participate and run men's circles down the Bay Area. So having conversations with other guys, like a no-holds-barred environment where we can just um, – really dig into the issues at hand, but knowing how to navigate those conversations or understand what some of the core archetypes are. Um, there are actually two books. So I'm going to break your rule and give you two. Sure. Minutes. Sure. One is, um, a book by Robert Moore, uh, called King warrior, magician lover, and talks about the four core archetypes in the psyche, both from a light perspective and the shadow perspective. So a mature and immature version of those, um, the psyche archetypes. Super, super interesting. And then um, a book called Fire in the Belly by Sam Keen. If you're familiar with Robert Bly and all his work or Michael Mead and his work, um, Sam Keen's book, Fire in the Belly, super enlightening in terms of, you know, what is it? What are the qualities of, the, of, the, of a man's or a male um, spirit is looking for and how to 
put those experiences into a man's life to to activate you know a mature version of them or build them up into that mm, love it i haven't i've the king warrior magician lover that i've seen godzi was recommending that and i think I, I i need to read that as well man i love it because there's there's so many books and i even i remember i think i had kyle as my coach a while ago on the one-on-one and I was just like, dude, how do you read so fast? Like, how do you guys get through this stuff? Like, let's be honest here. Like, how do you guys, like, are we all reading this stuff at the same pace? And what's going on here? Yeah. No, <laughs> you, know, you see all these books up here. I mean, half of them are all from um, <laughs> from just the past few months. And I have not opened up uh, hardly any of them. But I, you know, I've also, um, you know, it's about discipline. It's another characteristic True. of putting the time, like putting the time yeah. aside and investing in yourself. And we talk about this all the time is, you know, what are you doing to fill up your cup first? And it could be that difference of, you know, reading 10 pages, you know, every day. And, you know, my, my objective is to get through at least a half a dozen books this year. Um, and I've done two, maybe three, three. So Boyd Vardy's, you know, Lion Tracker. Um, Mm -hmm. that was a really, really good book too. I love that. Um, so let's I like that one on audio. It's cool because you can hear his voice. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you t- start, you know, reading the the local Afrikaans. Um, it's better to hear it spoken yeah. properly than trying to interpret it in the book. It's interesting. Yeah, I, um, you know, I started listening to what's that one? One of Robert Greene's. What's that? What's his? There's a couple of them. Have you read Robert Greene's books? No. I forget why my I, I can't even think of the name. Anyways, it's I found it really Godzi recommended it as well. And I just it's one of those books that sort of clicked and just as an entrepreneur and the journey and and all that kind of stuff. You guys are going to all I've talked about this book before. Oh, Mastery. Mm-hmm. It's a great book, man. It's great. I'm listening to it on audio. I haven't listened to it all yet, but it's um just being a, a master in in your life and just like figuring out like the things to do and the things not to do. And while you're, you're becoming, you're on your path of whatever it is you're doing, like just the, the idea of be mastering your life in all the areas is just so powerful to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just, there's so much lack of discipline in so many areas. And then we wonder, well, we're not going to become masters if we're not disciplined yeah. in themselves. Well, you know? I don't know if you've read or listened to any of Jocko Willink's stuff. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, so you know the whole his whole tagline of uh, discipline is equals freedom, yeah. and you know it's not to not for the not to eclipse everything in one's life, but to figure out what a big portion of your daily routine is, and just freaking become a slave. Just become you know given up. Just give yourself up to that schedule, and be consistent with it. Yeah. You know? And another friend of mine, Ryan Mickler, who founded an organization called Order of Man you know, he points out the importance of having a, you know, a battle plan uh, on a weekly basis. So it's a day, you know, I have about 10 different things each day and I need to hit at least half of them. And, you know, that's, those boxes are going to get ticked and you have until midnight to do it all. And, you know, again, this comes down to like, be your word to yourself, like keep your word to yourself. Like you make a commitment and you're going to show up for yourself and, it's, it all starts with oneself. And if that's selfish, then it occurs as selfish to somebody. That's okay. It's self-love. Uh, that's like the ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. And we t- I texted you about this the other day was I was contemplating this a little bit more is this, you know, that sense of, you know, belonging to yourself first. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're looking for ways to sort of fit in or connect with people or whatnot, well then, you know, 
good place to start is square one with yourself. Yeah, you need less validation from others. The amount yeah. of self-love you have is going to be in a reflection of what you see. And you're going to seek less approval when you approve yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's the, when I've been on, when I found I'm on, on the mark or a little bit more diligent and consistent um, with my nutrition, you know, it's actually an act of service to oneself, you know, to make better choices and to aim, aim higher. And if you're coming of that, that position of philosophy of like, okay, what can I do to improve the world? When again, start at home, like start pointing out other people's faults and, and sort of get your house in order. Yeah. Um, and that's a big part of what, what this year has been like last year was just like, I need to get through the turmoil. Then this year was about, okay, I'm regrounding myself in a, a foundation to build upon for the future. So then 2021 is going to be about, okay, where am I really putting, you know, rubber to the road? And then by 2022, I want to have, um, you know, I'm living in an apartment right now. I'm, I like the, the, the lighter, you know, footprint. I, I don't like living above somebody. So I'm looking at like a smaller house. I used to live in a 3000 square foot home in a really nice neighborhood. I don't need that anymore. I don't want to have to mow the lawn every weekend, you know, that kind of thing. So it's all, identifying and getting clarity on what works, what doesn't, and really sort of setting one, one's own life up uh, for optimal performance. And that's the journey. For sure. You know, it's kind of fun to, you know, think about and dream about. And, you know, we went through that Godsey um, exercise with the triangles and the priorities. And, and that was a super uh, eye-opening and clarifying exercise to go through. It's up on my wall. So I, look, I, I walk past it and look at it frequently. Um, it's, uh, it's important to have those visual cues, you know, in one's life built in. Yeah. I mean, it's, that guy's a genius, man. (laughs) (laughs) Guys like, I I, I remember I had him on last year when he was pretty new on the podcast. I, I I remember being disappointed. I didn't join fit for service. I was super close to doing it. Yeah. After that, I was like, shit. Cause I, I really, I really liked Godsey's philosophy. And I had him on the show and I was just like blown away by the guy. And, you know, now over the year he's evolved a lot. Like just his, he is just so, I don't know, man, there's not a lot of people like him out there. Uh-huh. His, his intelligence on philosophy and psychology. It's really interesting. I really enjoy when that guy, what, you know, taking us all down these rabbit holes, right? Yeah, yeah. Learning about the psyche and learning this stuff. Shit. I would have never really cared about. I care about now. Yeah. There's, um, there's a way, you know, art is really important. You know, I've got art or, and the role of the artist in society is to interpret the times we live in and express it in such a way that, you know, leaves you feeling something when you look Mm -hmm. at that, their expression of what's going on. So Godsey has got that sort of artful uh, approach to his gift and he'll pull in you know, he'll connect the dots in such a way, which like, holy, you know, it'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, it's like a combination, right? He'll, he'll start articulating something and then draw your attention and, and create a conclusion where it just unlocks something for people. And um, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of him. It, the best teachers, it's, it's just about taking a complicated topic and making it easy for us to understand. And Aubrey was the same way. That's why I gravitated towards him because he's talking about things that normally somebody that looks a certain way would be talking about. But since he's talking about it, you know, he's the alpha male, yet he's talking about philosophy and these books that I would have never cared about 
talking about plant medicine because in my mind, only people, hippie people talk about that stuff. It really opened my eyes to like, I've talked about this a lot. It's like the delivery of the information from the person is important. And I really gravitated towards, I may have heard or talked to other people about the same stuff, but when I heard it from the right source that I could relate with, it made it interesting for me. It made me want to explore it more. And yeah. same with like, you know, Kyle or Eric or even Caitlin, like the delivery of the information is important. And when you know you can relate to them, it makes you, it makes it easier to learn. It makes it more interesting. And that's what I found for me with all the stuff we're learning. I would have probably never cared about it before. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the way Kyle shows up from, from in my experience of him, um, is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and to have a former, you know, UFC fighter who's, who's been in the trenches and to have such a, um, a gentle sort of perspective and loving, you know, heart to him, um, is, is just, uh, amazing to me. And, you know, each of them have their gifts, right? I yeah. think, I think that's what they're also encouraging everybody involved with fit for service is everybody has their gift. Yeah. Um, and it kind of goes back to my point from earlier on is that there's little to no time spent cultivating inside of young people a sense of what their gifts are yes. earlier, earlier on, right? Yeah. All this stuff happens to them and then they figure out for themselves like, fuck, what am I here to do? Yeah. Like, because the pursuit of the, the empty pursuit of the things that quote unquote society, quote unquote societies tells us that we should have is kind of an empty, an empty uh, experience. It's not necessarily that fulfilling for me. You know, the dots really got connected. Like I'm sitting here in my apartment. I'm basically the editor in chief for a community site that is attached to a large global brand, but I'm here in my community, my, my apartment by myself. I really need to feel like I'm in community to be able to deliver community. And that was the, you know, the, the not forcing factor, but the, the catalyst, the impetus for me to, to invest in uh, fit for service. Mm, um, so I could be a better version of, of the function that I'm serving within my um, uh, employment. Yeah. Wow, man. Amazing. I know it's, we all have our reasons for joining and we've all been brought together and it's really, really cool just to see what comes out of that. And, you know, we're not even, I mean, how many months in are we? We're not even halfway through the year yet, are we? No. No, that's next month. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it's crazy how fast this whole time went by with this COVID stuff too. It's, uh, but uh, man, I, I really appreciate you coming and hanging out and, and having yeah, this conversation because, you know, I'm sure we'll have many more of these conversations. And for me, I just love to kind of have the one-on-one and be able to kind of explore your story and share it because we all have these stories all have impact in people's lives, right? Depending. And, and I get messages from people just like, Oh, I heard this about that. And I'm, and, and I got so much from it and it's, it just goes, it clicks for people, you know? Yeah. And you yeah. never know yeah. where it's going to impact somebody. Yeah. I'm interested to hear, you know, to understand what might've resonated for folks. Um, and, uh, cause I'm in, I'm in that process too. Of like, okay, I, I, I see my function within my quote unquote job. Um, but then there's, there's more to give, there's more to, to serve. So how best to serve it, you know, what parts of the story or the discussion resonate, super interesting to me. So yeah. Where, where can we learn more about you? Where can we check you out and find out all the good stuff? All the usual places. I'm not on Twitter these days. I'm mostly on Instagram, just Stephen.fielding. I'm also on Facebook, 
uh, and LinkedIn. So if you want to uh, connect with me in any, any one of those channels, I'm happy to do it. Cool, man. And COVID's going on for the next, for the rest of the world. When this airs, it'll be over. But can, are they going to be able to view the material later on or how's that going to work? Um, I would need to find that out. I mean, I could send you an update before you put this cool. show up to, to put it in the show notes. Um, but I suspect that, the, you know, a rebroadcast uh, would be available um, just to dive in. Because, I mean, it's quite a bit of content. Yeah, no, for um, sure. So I think, you know, I'll ask Scott Duffy, my partner on it, to let me know what he plans to do with it. Cool, man. Sounds good. Yeah. Last one. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Hmm. <laughs> I would say, yeah. I mean, I go back to my grandmother's advice. You know, this, this too shall pass. You know, it may seem really big and really overwhelming at the time or close to the incident. Um, and the, the insight is to give oneself enough grace and breathing room to get to the other side of whatever that experience is. And then um, try not to try and figure out the lesson right away. Uh, it'll, it'll come. And that, um, you know, as Aubrey, you know, has spoken to us as well, like wherever we can to come from that perspective of things happen for us, not to us. Again, pers- you know, time will give you perspective to understand the lesson in that. Yeah. Oh, perfect, man. It's beautiful. It's always a different answer and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, man. I really You're welcome. It. Anytime. I look forward to it. Stephen Fielding, everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody. If you guys can, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And make sure if you want to stay on top of the episodes, we got all kinds of amazing people coming on. Hit that subscribe button on Apple. Greatly appreciate you guys. Much love. Stay safe. We'll catch you next time.